Well, good morning, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners. It is me, Mark Penrith, your host. We are listening this morning to Table Talk with Mark. I am, for the next week or so, because this is airing on the 24th of December, I am from Crystal Park Baptist Church, Benoni, where I serve the local church as staff, um, although I'm in a little bit of an interim period looking forward to starting at Central Baptist Church in Pretoria uh, next week, um, and I am on leave this week, which means that this show today is pre-recorded rather than live. Which means, unfortunately, normally you would have the ability to ask your questions live on air and I and whoever I am interviewing, my guest would answer them. But today, unfortunately, that is not going to be a mechanism which is available to you. However, if you are listening on Facebook, please do pop a greeting into the comments below. And if you do have a question which comes up during our conversation, you're more than welcome to type it down below and I will respond to it as best as I can. Um, uh, I am this morning uh, talking between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock to my friend Tyrell Hart. You guys know Tyrell well. Tyrell hosted this show um, for a number of years before emigrating to Canada. He formerly served as a pastor at Heritage Baptist Church, a church which uh, I love dearly and have uh, interacted with a lot over the years, and now serves at Pinelin Baptist Church as senior pastoral staff. Tyrell, it is good to be with you today. I'd love to give you an opportunity, even as we start off, um, by just uh, maybe giving a little bit of a history of uh, your role uh, with Table Talk. I know a lot of people remember you fondly. Uh, how long were you on the show for? And uh, maybe what was your highlight? I mean, obviously, it was interviewing me, but you also got to interview a couple of other people. So maybe maybe talk about uh, just one or two of the highlights uh, as you were on Table Talk um, for many years. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. Uh, thanks for thinking of me for uh, the show. It's quite cool to be back on again and uh, and obviously to be chatting with you, uh, given how far back we go as well um, in, in serving the Lord. But uh, history of the show is actually a, a, a bit of a history of um, baton passing. I was the associate pastor at Constantia Park Baptist Church with Martin Holt, and he used to have a Q&A on Fridays. And uh, when I couldn't make this two-hour Q&A, um, oh, sorry, when he couldn't make the two-hour Q&A, he had asked me to stand in for him. So every now and then, I'd kind of stand in, and then eventually, um, I, I did the show more and more, and 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 then he decided to uh, step away from it, and I um, took over the show uh, every Friday for for the two hours. And at first it was just a, it was a Q and A for a good number of years. So this was about 2011. Um, it was, uh, uh, it was just a straight Q and A for, uh, I'd say until about 2019, if I get my dates right, um, to end of 2018. Uh, and then I went on a sabbatical. That's right. It was in 2018. I went on a sabbatical and during that sabbatical, we, um, I got a couple of guys to stand in for me and run like a topic-driven show because people, a lot of people weren't so keen on the surprise Q&A questions. And um, and people seem to enjoy that format of a, a topic-driven show. So I took it in that direction and um, 
and it kind of evolved from there. So it had different names over the years. Um, but uh, yeah, since about 2011, that's what it was like. And then uh, I was really happy to be able to see you uh, really doing a fantastic job and, and just uh, rocking over there in, in my absence. So that's uh, the history of uh, my role of the show. Couple of things as you're talking. One was uh, just Martin Holt. When uh, when I came across to a Baptist church in the East Rand, um, I, I really felt as if I needed to start to listen to some South Africans. This was even before I'd met you, um, before we had interacted uh, through Baptist Union connections or something. Um, and and what happened was I, I I went online and I was looking for guys that were expository preaching and that had repositories of uh, of expository sermons. And what I found was on Constantia Park Baptist Church's website, there were hundreds of Martin Holt sermons that were book by book through the Bible. And I started to listen um, over a period of a couple of years to to possibly hundreds of his sermons um, and and really thoroughly enjoyed him. Uh, next to him, I was listening to uh, Charles de Kivett from Pretoria Central. There was also quite a large repository of uh, expository preaching there. And Martin Morrison from uh, Christchurch. Man, those guys kept me company while I was driving from Crystal Park, Benoni to Bryanston uh, every day while they were building the N12 and uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to really, really good preaching. Um, and then my connection to you on radio was I love talk radio. I used to listen to 702. In fact, I still do from time to time. Uh, 702 just all day long. And uh, one evening I was traveling back from KwaZulu Natal and I was listening to Kate Turkington. She had a, uh, I'm sure it was on a Sunday evening and it was quite an esoteric show. I used to, I used to shake my head as I, I listened to all of this stuff um kind of you know very foreign religion stuff and and generally listening to people uh, claiming to represent christ speaking absolute rubbish um and uh, and i and my wife would ask me what are you doing why are you listening and uh she, she announced that the next speaker would be talking on christian hedonism and and interestingly enough then i actually wasn't too familiar with the term even though uh, Pipe had popularized it and I was really listening to Pipe and enjoying him um, but but I, I thought let me, let me listen to what this guy has to say and he started talking and he was this young guy and he just sounded so confident but the more he spoke <laughs> the more I was amazed the, the guy made sense he was referencing God's word and Kate, Kate was asking him questions and he had a response I got really excited listening to Tyrell Hogg for the first time on radio and uh, uh, it was quite late at night uh, I woke my wife up uh, she was sleeping in, uh, in the she wasn't driving I was driving <laughs> she was <laughs> she was sleeping next to me I, I woke her up I said please do a do a search for Tyrell Hogg online and she found him and got an, got an email and I wrote you an email just to commend you for such an excellent account which you gave and uh, yeah I mean that must have been at least 10 years ago um, and I've enjoyed your friendship ever since. Yeah thanks man no I've, been, I've enjoyed yours as well I think I, I remember that I remember the email and then we got together you were um, still doing other work and we had KFC 
<laughs> so anybody who knows me well has probably had KFC with me at least once. <laughs> I, I think in the Millennial Kingdom, I'm going to own the KFC restaurant and the Coke um, bottling depot. You see how I went to eschatology right there? <laughs> Straight away, man. Yep. And it's, it'll have to be in the Millennial Kingdom because people are going to live to 100 and die and be considered young which is because of the Coke, right? And the KFC. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, well, let, let's get into that conversation another time. Rather, another than talking, time. rather than talking eschatology today, what, I, what I'm hoping is, because this is going to be flighted on the 24th of December, you and I can have a chat about Christology. Um, we can talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Um, we can maybe start to flesh out and talk about this amazing, miraculous birth of a savior jesus christ the lord is our salvation um the the babe born in bethlehem and talk about deity and humanity and uh, how those two don't mix and yet live in um in full extent in the person of christ uh, we can talk a little bit about around the christmas story um and talk about maybe church and and christmas and and what it looks like in canada and uh, and those kinds of things um, before we get there, though, and that's a primer for the listeners so that they know where we're going to be going for the next uh, uh, two hours. But before we get there, uh, Tyrell, you and your family, uh, Ainsley and the kids, have uh, immigrated uh, to Canada, which is, what, the 51st state of the United States, if I remember correctly, uh, from my map and geography. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about the move. Tell us a little bit about the church that you're serving and uh, maybe correct my geography. Yeah, so here we are in Canada, um, North America. It is not part of America. It is in North America. It's, it's, um, it's actually got a system very similar to South Africa. It's got provinces um, as opposed to states, like America's got states. It's got provinces here. It's very similar to the South African government. It's part of the Commonwealth, um, still part of the Commonwealth Canada. Um, a lot of uh you know kind of references to royalty and um and that kind of thing in england and a strong patriotism um in that sense um yeah different climate than south africa um pretty unpredictable uh weather but the temperature variance is not as wild so we're not going to go from like 16 to 30 in a day it'll go from like negative two to one in a day you know what i mean it's like it's pretty consistent but um yeah it's it's uh, i came over here um uh, sent from uh, heritage and called by Pineland baptist here to to do a work of church revitalization um in a church that was going through a, a difficult and struggling time and and by god's grace um is a lot of signs of life a lot of encouraging things happening uh, I'm really growing a love for the people here and um, appreciating them and their dedication. Just a whole lot of people that have been serving the Lord since the founding of the church. There's founding members who built the building in the 60s that are, are still here and uh, just just kind of been faithfully plotting on over the years. And I'm excited for them to be able to see the Lord using the church um, once again and, and hopefully a, a, a larger, more dramatic way. So whilst you are in a different hemisphere, whilst you are in a different country, um, whilst you are in a different climate uh, to us, 
Uh, I'm guessing some things are the same. So, for example, the 25th of uh, December, uh, I'm guessing, is celebrated as Christmas, certainly by uh, the Christian community, but I'm, uh, you know, it's kind of like an adopted holiday by the secular community as well. What do you think? Uh, you haven't lived through a Christmas in uh, in Canada yet, have you? No. No. So this will be your first. So, uh, I mean, did did they start playing uh, jingle bells in shopping malls um, uh, in the middle of November? Did it start early? Did it start late? Uh, does it kind of feel the same? You guys have snow there, right? So maybe you get you get that quintessential white Christmas. Um, uh, do they celebrate Christmas the same way, or is it more French influenced? And how do the French do things anyway? No, I mean there are French parts of Canada. I'm in the English speaking part, and it is um, yeah, it's Christmas on another level. Uh, on the 31st of October, uh, all of the Halloween decorations come down. Sorry, on the 1st of November, all the Halloween decorations come down on houses, and all the Christmas decor starts going up on houses, and it's in the stores, and it's a big deal. So, one of the differences I've noticed here, at least in that sense is that people make a big deal about the four seasons because they have four seasons. Okay. Whereas, you know, in South Africa, we've got summer and less summer. Um, <laughs> at least, That's, at least that that might the, not be how we define it, but okay, I, I'm listening, I'm listening. In comparison, right? Yeah. I mean, winter, it's, it's like, it's very different. So here they make, you know, when it's um, fall, it's just all out houses are decorated with fall things. There's pumpkins on the floor, there's wreaths that are like, fall wreaths then those get swapped over for christmas wreaths and houses are lit up everywhere so it is a it is a huge thing so despite the country the country being more secular um than south africa people are more into um celebrating the seasons and making much of the different times of the year because especially in the cold when things are getting cold and snowy if you don't go out of your way to make things look pretty and to kind of just embrace it it can, I can, I can see it being a bit more of a drag. Okay, so, a bit bleak. Yeah, I, I, I guess though, you you do highlight something. I mean, it is a secular country. People are taking down Halloween decorations and they're putting up Christmas decorations. And and the fact that there's an embracing of a a pagan holiday and a pagan festival makes me think that maybe the Christian or the Christmas celebration is as pagan in that it's, it's all the celebration just without the central figure of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I mean, without, um, uh, without being wildly controversial, all Hallows Eve is a Christian festival. It's part of the Christian church calendar originally, um, in the Mediterranean and Europe, obviously all of that's been lost um now but i mean it's not a coincidence that martin luther picked the 31st of october the day before all saints day the triumph of the church um um glorious you know so but but it's definitely there's no religious connection to halloween here at all even amongst christians like they would have been in the medieval ages and um and yeah christmas here is it's 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 father christmas it's reindeer it's um it's really not much about Jesus. I mean, you will see the little nativity scenes in the in the in the shops. Um, I, I guess it's similar to South Africa in that way. I haven't spent too many, too much time in shops. So one of the differences here, I guess, activity wise, is we don't spend as much time in malls. There's um, there's kind of like those open shops. So there's like your grocery massive grocery store, 
and then a couple of shops around. So you're not walking through a mall hearing Christmas carols mm. the whole time so that you can like, oh, pick up, oh, there's a there's an actual Christian Christmas carol. So I haven't been able to discern that difference. But um, apart from what the church is doing, it's completely Christless. Yes. Look, I, I'm, I'm not much of a mall person, so I, I avoid all of that. I, I guess it's what Boney M or, you know, playing on repeat uh, in shopping malls. I, I've, I've never really been one for a, a as a, a massive shopper. Um, but I do know that my wife keeps me informed that the decorations are up and the advertisements are out. Um, and the only thing that you can't buy at this stage is gammon and turkey. Apparently, there's yeah. short supply. Um, <laughs> but um, so yesterday, I brought a Christmas tree. I brought my, um, I mean, I think I remember doing it as a kid. And I think people do it in KZN, but I bought a real Christmas tree, like there you an go. actual tree, yeah, as opposed to the plastic that I was used to um, in Joburg. So talk to me about uh, Pineland Baptist. I, I, I'm really interested to know how the church is celebrating Christmas this year. Uh, it's often an opportunity to to reach out to our community that might be interested in the in the narrative around Christmas. It's definitely an opportunity to reach out to those who are nostalgic, you know, maybe grew up in a Christian tradition and are nostalgic this time of year for the things of uh, of Christmas, um, traditional hymns and whatnot. Um, what are you as a church doing in order to uh, reach out to your community? Yeah, so it's funny you should say that, man. I like I scour the Facebook groups of of the community, and someone came up there and said, you know, I'm a I'm a sucker for traditional um, Christmas carols and stuff. Does anybody know of anything like that's been happening that that that'll be happening in the area? And I was like right on that because we're having a Christmas carol evening on the 19th of December. Mm. Um, people travel less in Canada than they do in South Africa in December. Okay. It's winter here. So people are still hanging around. It's not the big holiday. Mm. Um, so maybe the week between Christmas and New Year, things are a bit more laid back. But we can push our Christmas carol services to the 19th of December and not worry that people aren't going to rock up. So I am... Um, I just, you know, I connected with that guy and said we're having a Christmas carol event, and then we're going to be sponsoring that as a as an advert, hopefully, um, really soon. Um, so that's one way we're drawing people in, and then um, we've also just challenged our members to invite people because we're doing a, a Christmas series, which is really just all the echoes of Christmas in the Old Testament, all the prophetic texts that are pointing mm. to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, just leading up to Christmas Day. Um, so it's like a themed time where we're helping our congregation understand. Because most people, and this will be helpful for everyone listening to know, most people who do come to church come because somebody invited them. The the wild majority is because of an invitation. So we're stressing that. We're, we're trying to give people language to use. How do you invite someone? What words do you use? Are there pamphlets? Um, and so that's how we're trying to harness it. And I've been keeping score of people that have attended Crystal Park Baptist Church for the past 11 years. Uh, we are, we on average over the last year had about 10 visitors a week. And, uh, of those 10 visitors, a very large majority were direct invites. We did benefit quite a bit off the back of social media and off the back of, um, uh, uh, Google advertising and, and, and certain website related advertising. Um, but certainly if you invite a family member or a friend to a Christmas function, they are very, very likely to say yes. 
Um, and that is a great way of exposing, you know, the people that you love to the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And the Christmas carol thing is a bit more laid back, right? It's an evening thing. There's a lot of singing. We're having a lot of scripture reading in between, which is great because, uh, you know, that's where faith comes from, hearing and hearing the word of God, word of Christ. Um, and then there'll be a short message um, in, and, and, you know, tailored towards non-believers. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how we're, how we're trying to harness uh, Christmas at the moment. There are a lot of other ideas. Uh, that that could have been initialized, but it just wasn't the right time. You know, I've just got here in February and trying to do one step in, at a time and see what we've got going on. Yeah. Are you guys doing a Christmas Eve service? Yes, there's a there is a Christmas Eve service, um, and I think there's just actually need to pull that up. But there's there's no Christmas Day service, I think, which is um, which is different. Yeah, they only have a Christmas Eve service, not a Christmas. I think, staying corrected, Christmas Day this year is on the, I'm going to go with, well, it'll be the 25th. So if the 25th uh, Christmas is Friday, Eve is the 24th. Yeah, so Christmas Eve is the 24th. It's today. It's as this, this show is, is going out on Christmas Eve, which makes the topic uh, relevant. Um, but Christmas Day then would be the 25th. It would be on the Saturday. And then obviously the Lord's Day Sunday, I'm assuming you guys are going to still have church. Yeah, we're gonna have church, and we'll do um, we'll continue with the Christmas theme. And I'll kind of wrap it up in the New Testament a bit more. So tell me, what, what are you gonna what are you gonna preach on specifically over this season? You you mentioned uh, echoes from the Old Testament leading up to Christmas. Um, kind of any any specifics? So obviously Isaiah, I'm guessing. Yeah, so I mean, this past Sunday we did Genesis three um, about the skull crushing seed. So the prophecy of the seed of the woman that would come. And then um, this coming uh, Lord's Day, we're going to go to Isaiah 7, virgin shall have a child, this will be the sign, right? Yes. Um, and then we'll be in Ezekiel 34, speaking about the shepherd. Um, and then finally, Isaiah 10, the branch, that'll be Christmas Eve, speaking about, you know, the, the branch that's there. And then finally, Isaiah 53, um, uh, the suffering servant despised. Um, just trying to carry the whole story. That'll be on, on the day after Christmas, on, yeah. on Boxing Day. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it looks like, just picking up different texts. You know, we've been going through Mark's gospel, um, not yours, but the apostle. No, no, no. I don't think uh, anyone yeah. would have thought that I wrote a gospel account. Oh, okay, people know me pretty well. Um, yeah, Mark's so it's gospel. nice to break it up and do a topical series so much to speak, where I guess it's more thematic. Um, uh, you know, those prophecies of Christ coming in the Old Testament and uh, and then going into the Old Testament to give our church a balanced diet of old and new. I try yeah. to do that as much as I can. Yeah. Um, and now's as good as time as any. I think that's, uh, I think that's really smart. It, it does help um, believers when they stand on both legs, the Old and the New Testament, and see how both point to Christ. The New Testament, the fulfillment, Old Testament, the promise to come. Um, certainly does does help believers have a good biblical sound theology um, and and brother I mean just uh, in terms of um, Christmas hymns and stuff uh, uh, Christmas carols uh, did you guys start singing Christmas carols around the beginning of December and uh, what kind of music are you singing at Pineland Baptist yeah um, started this past Sunday joy to the world 
um, was one that that stood out in the sermon. There was a really good explanation of a bit of the history, the the textual history of it, partly in Genesis three, and uh, and in the Psalms. Um, Psalm ninety eight. So been doing that. What's that? I said Psalm ninety eight. We can actually talk about Psalm 98 when we come back from the break in terms of joy to the world. I love that Psalm. Absolutely yeah. love that Psalm. And Isaac Watts, what a hymn writer. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, the music style is, um, what can I say? It's, it's church music. Um, they, we don't have a lot of musicians at the moment. Um, it's kind of people that are just, it's, it's people that are faithfully, just giving of their time and their gifts who would rather not be doing it because um, purely because they're of an age where it's, it's not as easy anymore okay. to kind of be, be doing that. But, um, but uh, you know, the Lord's been gracious to us and stuff uh, with, with regards to that. I'm just, what we are trying to do is have hymns that are the most singable Christian songs that are the most singable by mm-hmm. a congregation. So we always want to emphasize congregational worship. Hot, hot have to be, extra more deliberate now about doing that um for for where our congregation is in their singing um because congregations often need to be taught to sing as well yes um and and helped along but yeah hark the herald i mean christmas songs are are very singable uh, yeah unless unless you're you know mariah carey or something um (laughs) so so look we've picked up over the last uh couple of years we've picked up a number of the new sovereign grace christmas songs which are absolutely excellent. And uh, I stand corrected. I think that there's also a City of Light Christmas song, which uh, which we've added to our repertoire. But uh, over this Christmas period, you want to stick to the old and faithful songs that people know that have very rich Christology uh, that help people to remember Jesus Christ and the security that he is um, over this period. And so, yeah, uh, I've, I've enjoyed just singing Christmas carols for the last couple of weeks as we've been visiting a number of churches and also at Crystal Park Baptist Church. Well, I love to sing, even when it's not Christmas, throughout the year, I would frequently throw in Come All Ye Faithful. Yes. Um, you in know, fact, that's just... Come, Come All Ye Faithful is a refrain on on one of the new, I think it's a City of Light uh, 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 songs, um, and uh, Come All Ye Faithful is a refrain, and it's glorious, absolutely glorious music. Tyrell, we're going to hit the pause button now um, because we do need to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation of Christmas. We're going to now start to introduce one or two texts uh, and just talk around some of the main themes uh, of fulfillment and of uh, salvation um, and of this person of Jesus Christ who pierced through time and space and matter and entered into our existence, Emmanuel, God with us. I'm looking forward to the rest of the conversation, uh, but for now, we will cut to a break. We will be back in just a few minutes. Looking forward to speaking with you. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. It's practically Christmas. I don't actually know when Christmas Eve starts. Does it like start on the morning of the 24th of December or is it actually only Christmas Eve after 5 p.m. as you hit kind of like late noon or like that word Eve, does the sun have to go down before it's actually Christmas Eve and you can start opening presents? I say start opening presents because maybe... My upbringing was a little bit unusual. My father's a pastor, and uh, Christmas Day, he's Anglican. Anglicans have like 
10 services over Christmas. It's crazy. And so Christmas Day was always a very full uh, church affair. And so as a family, it was impossible for us to open Christmas presents on Christmas Day. Uh, we'd go to church a couple of times, uh, sometimes even more than a couple, uh, and then straight to, you know, a family lunch with all the family and so Christmas Eve was the the time that we would celebrate together and I have very nostalgic memories of being with my mom and my dad and my sister uh, around Christmas trees and opening up presents I can remember one year my dad got a Swiss Army pocket knife uh, I must have been about five because I can remember the house that we were in and the, re the reason why it stands out so much in my mind is I cut my finger with it while I was playing with it and I remember both the the scarlet color of the Swiss Army knife and I remember the scarlet color of my blood as I bled all over my mother's floor and I can also remember the sound of my mother's voice when she realized what I had done. Christmas is a time for memories. I, I hope, listener, as you listening in today, uh, you are remembering good times that you've had in the past and uh, hopefully good times that you're going to have over the next couple of days. I also realize that sometimes Christmas is a very difficult time for many people as they grieve loss, um, particularly over the season that we've gone through. Um, it, might, it might well be that a number of people listening in, even this morning, have gone through a very, very difficult 2021. My, my heart truly does go out to you. Um, I, I would like to offer you um, Psalm 98 um, as a a balm for your soul as a as ointment um for your soul psalm 98 is a psalm of praise it's a it's an exhortation to praise it's a command to praise uh, the first three verses start off by this like this I, i've got a big smile on my face even as i even as i come to reading it i'm kind of excited it says sing a new song to the lord for he has performed wonders his right hand and holy arm have won him victory the Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. That's the first three verses. There's six more verses to come. But, uh, but if we had to just camp out in those three verses for just a second, there's a, there's a couple of really important points that can be made the first is this the, the word the lord is a repeated phrase in these three verses and it's actually repeated the whole way through the psalm the lord in verse one the lord in verse two uh, god in verse three the lord in verse four the lord in verse five and so it carries on and on and on and the word lord there is jehovah it's where we get the english word in our king james bibles uh jehovah um it is the it is the Jewish national name for God, and it really calls us to remember that he is the self-existent one, the eternal one, that this Lord that we're singing to is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The other thing is that there is an imperative command in these first three verses, imperative meaning this is something that we must do, and the thing that we must do is we must sing a new song. Uh, we must sing, and I, I don't know if a new song means that we need to kind of like reach out to Stuart Townend or um, Bob Calflin and get them to write a new song. I, I think the new song that they're talking about is metaphoric here. Yeah? It's, it's a reality that 
the song of praise and worship and adoration for the Lord, for Jehovah, it needs to be a new reflection of our heart of praise and worship toward Him. Um, and this is a command. This is something that we must do. Believers, as you are listening in on this Christmas Eve, <laughs> even if it starts a little bit later, you can go and Google as to when Christmas Eve actually starts. Um, but be prepared over this period to sing to the Lord a new song out of a heart um, which has been uh, set apart to glorify him. What follows after that very first line? Tyrell, this is so cool. I, I didn't know this. Um, but I spend quite a lot of time in the language here. And come six imperative, um, six imperative, six imperfect verbs. Um, so they are verbs that either um, completed in the past or certainly will be completed in the future. And uh, they are they are the reasons why we must sing this new song. Uh, and the reasons are all wrapped up in the person of the Lord. Um, he has performed wonders. In other words, miraculous, supernatural uh, acts of God. Uh, his right hand and his holy arm have won him victory. Uh, the Lord has made his victory known is the third uh, imperfect verb. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the la uh, nations, the fourth. He has remembered his love uh, towards the house of Israel, the fifth. And then lastly, uh, all the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. That's the, the sixth verb in that sentence. Uh, and and they just they just create this full picture of this Lord that we must worship. There's one other point that we can make directly from the text before we jump to Christmas, and that's this: the word victory in the Christian Standard Bible is repeated three times. In the English Standard Bible, um, it is repeated three times. The word salvation. Um, and it is the Hebrew word Yashe, which is salvation. And I believe that the hymn writer, uh, the great hymn writer, the kind of like the first popular hymn writer, Isaac Watts, as he penned possibly the greatest Christmas carol of all times, Joy to the World, um, was in Psalm 98. Because in Psalm 98, we see the elements of salvation in the first three verses, the elements of kingship in the next three verses, and the elements of judge in the last three verses, which which create the refrain that Isaac Watts speaks about in Joy to the World. And he, in all likelihood, as he studied the psalm, saw this word, Lord, Jehovah, and the word salvation, Yahshe, and made a connection to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, if you had to compound those two words, you would get Yeshua, uh, which uh, translated into English in the Old Testament, because we find that compounded word in the Old Testament, we'd get Joshua. Um, in the New Testament, uh, as we read through this text, we would have a Greek translation of that compounded word, Jesus. Um, and as we translate the word Jesus in Greek into English, we get the New Testament name for Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus, um, meaning our Lord saves. The Lord is our salvation. Um, and as we think of, um, of the rebounding praise of joy to the world, uh, that's what we hear over and over again, this idea of salvation, repeating the sounding joy, the singing to the Lord, um, and then kingship, and then, and then judge, judge and, and justice. Uh, Tyrell, uh, just in terms of Christmas carols, come on, joy to the world, number one? 
that's uh, that's close to number one. That's a good. That's a good number two. <laughs> what are you gonna go for for number one? Man, I just uh, I really like Oh Holy Mass. Don't oh. know what to say. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, uh, look, uh, I I actually think, I think that there is a an element of um of uh of of kind of like my my heart soars when I sing Joy to the World, and it's often sung at the end of a Christmas carol service, and and, and I praise and glorify at that point, but but there are some very Christologically rich. Uh, hymns uh, that are nestled in the middle. Uh, Silent Night, when you sing that refrain, um, Glory to God, um, uh, uh, Radiant, um, ah, I'm like losing losing the words, but but also just r- lyrically rich and easy to sing, so kids even get it. Yeah, I mean, Oh Holy Night's not terribly easy to sing, but it's got some really... Um... Uh, precious uh, themes that that come up in it but yeah joy to the world is it's definitely up there and what it's got going for it is that it's essentially um the psalm um as as you've said right so it's uh being able to sing the psalms we we don't sing the psalms enough um <clears throat> i mean i know there are churches that that do sing the psalms all the time um, but generally, evangelicals don't sing the psalms enough. I think, uh, you know, it's the Bible's hymn book, and and you really pointed out that this uh, um, joy to the world was based on Psalm ninety eight. But if the the book it was written in, the first book that it was recorded in in seventeen nineteen was Watts's book, um, a collection of the Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. That's the full title, right? And yeah. it's not only Psalm ninety-eight because he's um as he as he's writing it, you've got you've got in the first and do I have the lyrics? Yeah, I've got the lyrics for Joy to the World here. The first two um stanzas are Psalm ninety-eight pure, right? They're just they're drawn from there. But the third one is Genesis three. Um let no more sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the crown of the ground. Mm. There's the thorns and the thistles. Mm. Um, he comes to make his blessings flow where far as the curse is found. That's the yeah. curse from Genesis three. Mm. Um, and um, it's interesting that 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 refrain they they try to remove it. It's actually removed from some hymnals because they wanted to. That 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 phrase, as far as the curse is found, that comes up again. They 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 wanted it to be a Psalm ninety eight only, that they didn't appreciate that that line only makes sense if you understand uh, the New Testament ah that that Watts is looking at Psalm at the Psalms with that 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 he's seeing it through that lens that Christological lens all the way back to Genesis three, and he's saying yes, this is why there's victory. This is why there's salvation. This is actually what the victory is over. This is what Christ is coming to do. And so it's actually a beautiful marrying together of the Psalm 98 and a biblical theology drawing, drawn from Genesis 3 to the cross. Well, I mean, I have no doubt. Um, radio is you know, free to air. And uh, there might well be folk that are listening in this morning on Christmas, uh, intrigued by the conversation and maybe intrigued by an element of nostalgia. 
but don't understand what you're speaking about when you refer to Genesis chapter 3 and would benefit by bringing Genesis chapter 3 and Psalm 98 close by. So they get that Psalm 98 is filled with joy and singing and praise and adoration to the Lord. But but why? Why so much adoration to the Lord? Um, and the only way to answer that is in the light of Genesis 3. Would you unlock that passage for us? Yeah. You know, you know, Genesis three. It's talking even. Um, it's so it's so interesting how it all it all came together because I've just been teaching my kids this. Uh, I've just been expanding on well, what happened in Genesis? You know, what was the sin of our first parents? Um, what was required of them in uh, in, in 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 the Garden of Eden that they obey God's law perfectly? What was God's uh, threat? Uh, what would happen if Adam sinned? Uh, well, they would die, and 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 you know we're gonna we're gonna expand on that. Um, we're, we've spoken about how God's given them um, bodies that can never die, uh, but yet there's still death. And what is that? That's death in hell. And, and but so it's all it's all foundational to understand salvation, to understand victory, because if there is not that death, if there is not that curse, then what are we being saved from? Mm. Um, and in fact, that's where you you can run easily into moralism without Genesis three being something that affects us that we we're dead in our trespasses and sins, as Ephesians two says, and that's the origin of that death. Um, it just it, it just doesn't the gospel doesn't make sense, and it just becomes a, a what's that um, that 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 show? It's really good. It's just a moralizing show. It's someone's neighborhood, Mister Rogers. No, you know that's. That's essentially what the gospel sure. becomes. Just go and be a good person. Yeah. That's, but no, we know that there's a curse because we feel it. Mm. Um, we, 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 we feel the weight of sin and the weight of guilt. And there's people who, who you were very pastorally addressing just now who over this Christmas period are, what are they experiencing? They're still experiencing hardship and loneliness um, and, and trials and tribulations because there's thorns and thistles um, in everything. And you will raise children, Eve, and the raising of children is going to be painful. And Adam, your work, everything that you get out of the ground, it's going to be sweat for you. And nothing is ever going to come easy again. And the, the cherubim are going to make sure that you can't get in, that they're going to keep you away from the tree of life. Um, and by the way, actually, you know, I'm trying desperately not to get sidetracked. But just when, when people can get very iffy about Christmas trees, just remember the symbolism of trees is throughout Scripture and throughout early Christian art, trees are always representative of new life. But here you've got the tree of life in the garden yeah. that they're barred from. Yes. Uh, and they want to get back to the tree of life. And then you've got Jesus who comes and he says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, um, you live forever. You've got to eat of me, and then you've got this picture at the very end of the book of the tree of life appearing again, um, that brings the healing of the nations. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's just all of this incredible, beautiful. And you've got a savior, and you've got a savior hanging on a tree. I mean, just to go back exactly back to the central, the central motif of all of Scripture is that Jesus Christ entered into this world and died to 
conquer, to crush the head of that serpent. And he did it in the most astounding way. I mean, you know, Philippians 2 makes that abundantly clear. He who cons did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, came in form of a man, likeness, and mm. um, died, even death on a cross, death on that cruel tree. Jesus Christ died as a substitute. Um, the righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless savior for a sinful person just like me, <laughs> just like yeah. you. And then even in Daniel, right? So, I mean, just carrying on with the theme of trees, I mean, you've, I mean, you've already hit the high point of it, but if you just go a little bit earlier, you've got this tree that grows up in Daniel's mm. dream, the Daniel's like rather interpretation, right? It's this tree that it grows up to fill the whole earth and all the birds of the air, right? All the nations are able to come and find refuge in us. Mm. Um, but it's speaking about what Christ was going to bring about yes. um, as a consequence of his death on the tree. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's just, just to put, I mean, pagans um, have historically used trees as well, but uh, guess what? God made the tree. Um, and uh it's a, it's a great opportunity just on the sidetrack to go and teach your kids or maybe teach yourself um, biblical theology of trees. Start in Genesis and, and work your way through with the concordance and just appreciate every time uh, trees are mentioned. Sometimes they're probably just going to be an insignificant reference that's, that's got another um, uh, you know function. But very often you're going to find these points that Mark and I have been hitting on now um, and maybe, yeah. maybe just to give a really simple way that you could do that listener if you don't have a concordance uh, if you go to google and you type in bible gateway or in your um in your url of your browser you type biblegateway.com com i'm fairly sure it's a dot com address um okay. into the search bar just type the word tree and it will bring back every single reference to tree in scripture. On the right hand side, there will be a list of books and how many times the word tree appears in each one of the books of scripture. And I find that is a, I, I often do word studies that way. It's probably the quickest way to, to access scripture. You can choose between hundreds of different translations. Um, I'm currently using the English Standard Version because that's what I'm going to be preaching out of next year. Um, but I have been using the Christian Standard Version for years. Um, and I just recently read the Legacy Standard Bible uh, and found that a, a very accessible student edition, um, study, study edition, kind of uh, the New American Standard Bible and steroids. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Tyrell, I, I think we're going to need to just hit the pause button for a while um, go to a break. And, uh, and when we come back, I would like you to take us on the journey uh, that you're planning on taking Pineland Baptist Church on. In terms of, if we could go and take a look at some Old Testament texts that, that point forward to this promise that is to come, this um, Yeshua, uh, this uh, the Lord is our salvation, the person of Jesus Christ. And if we could build a biblical theology toward the Christmas message in the third segment of our show today, and then in that last segment, maybe we can we can kind of just access some of the the New Testament gospel texts and actually look at the person of Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, um, and, and build and build something of the narrative around that. 
Um, but for now, listener, thank you so much for listening in. We are enjoying having you here with us, even though this is pre-recorded. Uh, we know that you are going to be listening in on about the 24th of December, uh, between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. We still have an hour in front of us. Uh, we do ask, uh, stay tuned. We're going to cut to a break and we'll be back shortly. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you on this, the 24th of December. It is, unless I am terribly mistaken, Christmas Eve. I, I think Christmas Eve is like the whole day. At least on my calendar, it says Christmas Eve at the top, and it seems to take up the whole day. I, I don't think these things start kind of as the sun goes down or after dark. If I'm wrong, tell me in the comments. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, you can, of course, follow uh, this conversation on Facebook. Uh, it will be streamed out um, on the Facebook profile, even on Friday, and uh, you can follow us there. And so you can drop comments uh, on Facebook, and I'll be sure to pick them up and respond to you as timelessly as I can. I am on leave at the moment, which means I am not live in studio, able to respond uh, to questions and answers which might come in. Normally, Table Talk is a Q&A show, and whether I have a guest in here or not, we take your questions and we answer them, and you become part of the conversation as you engage with us, asking questions, making comments, um, and querying various different things. Um, but unfortunately, this or Fortunately for me, this is a pre-recorded show. Um, I have with me uh, a friend and a partner in ministry, Tyrell Hogg. He is the pastor of Pineland Baptist Church, which is in Canada. And of course, you know him and you know his voice well because he hosted this show for many years. And so I'm so glad to have him back uh, with us today. Uh, Tyrell, for the last uh, hour, we've been talking about Christmas. We've kind of spoken about culturally how the world uh, worships uh, kind of secular Christmas and we've spoken about how the church uh, uses the Christmas season to reach out. Uh, we then started to talk about both the reason for Christmas in terms of the fall of man into sin and also this kind of joyous expectant hope that we have um, from Genesis chapter 3 and from Psalm 98. And I'm hoping that you can now connect the dots for us. So take us from Genesis 3, the fall of man into sin, and take us toward the entry of Emmanuel, God with us, into human history. Yeah, so <clears throat> the, the, the passages that I want to focus on are really the, the ones that are freshest in my mind, this kind of series that we're doing um, at, at Pineland, building up into... Um, uh, the, the Christmas season, speaking about the incarnation. And so the first one is one we've already touched a whole a whole lot on. Genesis 3 is the first prom promise, right? We call it, um, theologians call it the proto-evangelium, the, uh, the, 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 the kind of the foretaste of, of the gospel. And if you look at Genesis 3, I mean, verse 15 is the um, main text, but You'll see in verse one to five, there's this temptation, this original temptation of sat um, from Satan in the form of a serpent, especially tempting Eve. But but don't worry, later on you'll you'll learn that Adam was there and silent. He's not engaging. He's not defending the honor of his Lord. He's there. So this temptation is being carried out in those first five verses, and then you look at verse six to seven, 
and the fall of Adam and Eve is described. And that's the second part of the passage. And then verse 8 to 13, there's this confrontation. The Lord uh, comes and encounters. In fact, he confronts Adam and Eve about their sin. And then finally, verse 14 to 19, you see uh, the curse that the Lord delivers. And he speaks first to the serpent then to Eve and finally culminating with Adam because of Adam's uh, accountability as the, the federal head of the human race, the representative of all of us, our first parents, so to speak. And But there's those words of hope that, that are right in there as God speaking to Adam and Eve and delivering this, that there's going to be a seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. And that's really, I think, the key to unlocking um, as you keep reading through Genesis, there, everything is expecting Genesis, Exodus. Um, as you get into the uh, Joshua and Judges, you're, 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 you're meant to be saying, is this the seed? Um, is this the seed singular? Oh, oh no, it's not because look at what he's doing. You know, you're reading, oh, is it Noah? Oh, no, he's, he's getting drunk after the, you know, after the flood, right? That, that's not him. That, that's what's going on. And so you're, you're, that's the, this, like, this verse, verse 15, sets up the rest of Scripture. And everywhere along, you're asking, okay, is this the skull crushing that's going to happen now? Um, and you see this battle going on. So that's, I guess, a quick rundown of Genesis 3 because we have spent time on it already. But, but then there's these other snippets, and I'm just going to pick them, um, pick them up. Um, the, the 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 next one you see is in Isaiah seven. Um, uh, now you know when you read Second Kings, there's a passage there in chapter sixteen that describes this reign of King Ahaz, and he's a king that's mentioned here. And actually, um, um, Jeremiah seven is also there, but it's. It, it, it speaks directly, Jer- Jeremiah chapter 7 speaks directly to the situation that of, of Ahaz's reign because of his immorality and his ungodliness. Uh, and, and, and the reason I'm mentioning all of these scriptures, I know it might seem like a lot, because I think it's important for us to see that all scripture kind of hangs together. Um, and you can tell a story, you can tell a story of one chapter by seeing it all connected. But there's this language in in... Isaiah 7, behold, a virgin shall conceive. And you just want to pause and ask a question when you hear that. Um, Because in the last hundred years, coming up to where we are now, many commentators, uh, many of the clever people who look at the Bible and try and explain what it means, have called that into question. But you can see if if you compare scripture with scripture, how we're to understand what Isaiah says to Ahaz, the king, um, that, that, that there's going to be a sign, there's something special. And of course, uh, the Gospels apply this passage, uh, Isaiah 7, they apply this passage to the first Christmas, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those are several things. There's the significance, there's the virgin, there's the application to Christ. And it really, I mean, we've, we, <laughs> there's so much to go into um there but since we were talking about christmas carols i'm going to try and take the liberty of mentioning it here you know next time you hear handel's messiah sung and i was playing it for my kids on sunday different portions of the messiah and they've got that line behold a virgin shall conceive or 
um, O thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, you want to remember that the prophecy begins actually with an invasion. This whole section was an invasion, a failed invasion that tempts the king of Judah to get into a, an alliance that's disastrous for the nation. And so, do you know what's remarkable is as you're reading Genesis 3, this promise is given in the midst of failure. And as you read Genesis 7, this promise of the virgin conceiving this wonderful sign, a miraculous sign, is given in the midst of Israel's failure, in the midst of Israel, not looking to God to deliver her, but looking to a pagan nation. And the prophet comes and says, behold, a virgin shall conceive, yeah. you know? And so it's, it's very cool, right? In you, when you start spending time in it, <coughs> but um, yes, Mark, you want to? Well, I mean, I'm just, isn't it so like God in the midst of weakness to demonstrate his strength, you know, in the midst of utter collapse of the human race, Adam, Adam sunk into the miry clay as far as he could go, dead in his trespasses and sins. At that moment, God says, I will bring forth a seed and he will crush the serpent's head. And, um, you know, God in his economy, <laughs> because and for his glory's sake, seems to use um, the utter collapse of human frailty <laughs> to demonstrate his immense and utter perfect glory yeah yeah now go, going off of that so we were in isaiah 7 you yeah. just hop over a few chapters and you're in the same kind of context isaiah chapter 10 um because you've got this this idea of a of a branch now you know the branch prophecy is an important messianic prophecy in the old testament mm. it's it's also again by the way mentioned in jeremiah um 23 but if you if you look at this text um and and understand it in the context once again the predominant context of the first 39 chapters of isaiah is this threat of invasion and the rule of of wicked rulers and alliances with assyrians and the question as to is israel going to trust in god or are they going to trust in man is israel going to be faithful to god or is Israel going to continue in idolatry? So that's like where the prophecy is given. Again, in the midst of that kind of uh, challenge and, and, and failures. Mm. But in the aftermath of, of verse 1 to 10 of, uh, of Isaiah 11, especially going on to the words of promise and hope that are mentioned in 12, you, you have all of these, these glimmers and, and pictures of hope. And, you know, this branch prophecy here of the Lord Jesus Christ, who to the eyes of many doesn't look like much. Isaiah himself tells us that there was nothing in his visage, right, that would attract us to him. He came in lowliness and poverty, he came in weakness of our flesh. And, and, and yet he was the branch prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11, who would save his people, who's going to set up God's kingdom, who's going to draw the Gentiles to himself. Um, and, and so you start getting all of these different pictures of this Davidic king who's going to be endowed with the spirit, uh, with delight, the Lord's righteousness and, and faithful ones is going to bring about these Eden type of conditions for the Gentiles. And that's important because it ties in with Genesis 3. Um, uh, the Eden type of conditions that we are lost from, no, the branch is going to bring it back. And I mean, I, I don't want to stretch things, but I mean, we're talking about trees and now we've got this image of a branch. <laughs> you know, you can 
teach your kids about the branch that is crossed as you're uh, as you're going through explaining your Christmas tree to them. Uh, I, I mean, they are glorious. Uh, I mean, Isaiah is just such a rich book, and he has a way of writing with um, with metaphor and imagery that does appeal to every generation. But even in in chapter ten of Isaiah, uh, there are so many key texts that uh, that really just jump out. Uh, you know, this uh, idea of the shoot growing from the stump of Jesse, um, and and we know that Jesus Christ's lineage. I've just been reading. Uh, I'm trying to read through the ESV this month. So over the last couple of days, I've I've just finished the uh, the the Gospels, and. Um, and just how, I mean, I hope I get this right, but both Mark as well as Luke track the lineage of Christ, one through Mary, one through Joseph, and and very intentionally track it back to King David before tracking it up to Abraham and uh, and Adam. But but the, the, the point is that, that Jesus Christ, this, this promised Davidic king, this one who will reign on the throne of David forever and ever, according to Nathan's prophet, prophecy to David, um, Isaiah speaking of him, the branch and its roots will bear fruit. And then this, this, this many-fold repetition of the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. Um, and then talking about his delight in the fear of the Lord. Um, judgment, uh, spoken about here. I mean, we spoke about from Psalm 98, salvation, as well as kingship, as well as justice. And yeah, in this, this reign of the Davidic king, again, we see these images of kingship, of justice, uh, and of salvation just coming out. These, the, these mega themes of scripture in terms of the promised Messiah over and over again in the Old Testament. Yeah, and I mean, I'm 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 giving you like I don't know, uh, three four hours. I'm trying to like think how do I give you four hours worth of material in like, <laughs> in twenty three minutes or something like that. So yeah. I'm pretty much like thinking around the the. I mean, there's there's just so much here that I'm 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 reluctant to say a lot because I don't want to do damage um in your mind to how rich the text is it's not just as simple as well there's these three points it's mm. it's huge um but but we, we get into the next section um so I'm, you know you can spend a lot of time in our zion there's all of these images but the next place you can go to is ezekiel which um you know he's got some pretty cool images as well um Wheels and wheels and eyes and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just so you know, it was 597 BC. Ezekiel is called to ministry by a river in Babylon with the vision of the glory of God that Mark is busy describing. And he's a teenager who perhaps had heard Jeremiah preach. So just think of this. Think about, like, you're a teenager. You've heard Jeremiah preach. Um and, and many of the passages in this difficult book are reflections on passages of Jeremiah's preaching, actually. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, there's Ezekiel looks like a reflection. Uh, Ezekiel 34, 34 looks like a reflection on Jeremiah 23. And, and just also to, to give all of you, because I know people like it when you do this, just a time frame. So Ezekiel here, um, this passage, he's, he's a contemporary of Daniel. Uh, the great leader and prophet of God's people. 
And remember, Daniel quotes Jeremiah and he reads Jeremiah while he's in exile in Babylon. Yeah. So you, you're here and Ezekiel's part of these exiles that are taken to Babylon by the king. Nebuchadnezzar has conquered Israel. And in the same year, Nebuchadnezzar set up Zedekiah as a, as a puppet king, you know, just to kind of get tribute. Yes. And he's in the line. Uh, he was of the line of David, but he's subservient to Nebuchadnezzar. And Zedekiah would become the last king of Israel of, of the, yeah. And, and he would reign about 10 years. And then in about 587 BC, Zedekiah rebels against Nebuchadnezzar and the rebellions failed. And, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is just hot and furious about that. And he tries to escape and he's captured and he's brought by Nebuchadnezzar and his sons are brought before him and they're slaughtered. And his eyes are put out and he's taken in chains to Babylon where he lingers long and he, and he dies. So the last thing he ever sees is the end of the line of David. Or so he thought, right? So, so remember this, these ideas, why is it important to talk about line? Because there's this language, the seed of the woman yeah. will crush the head of the servant. And then you start seeing, oh, where's the seed going to come? And Mark touched on that when he was speaking about, well, there's a genealogy over here. In, in Luke and Matthew, pointing how Christ is in this line, and it's the line of David. So here, as you're reading this, you're meant to be saying, oh, no, the, the king. The what about the seed? Yeah, yeah. What about the seed? What about the line? And so these are, at the moment for them, you can understand, these are like serious, great challenges to Israel's faith. You can think, Israelites, they're thinking, where is God in all of this? God who promised that David would never lack a man on his throne um, forever. God who promised that his people would be planted in the land. They're now in exile and God rose up these prophets. And, and if you look at this passage, I mean, it's, it's an incredible is there's, there's really six steps. Let me just walk you through them very briefly um, of, of Ezekiel 34. So <clears throat> um, first the, in, in verse one to six, the Lord indicts the Kings and the priests of Israel for failing to, to lead Israel. So the leaders that are supposed to lead, they're not leading. And, and he spends time speaking to them. Then in verse 7 to 10, he brings judgment against the leaders of Israel, both the kings and the priests, mm. for failing in their responsibility. And then in verse 11 to 17, God announces that since these leaders have been unfaithful, uh, since the, the, the kings have failed their purposes with my people, I'm going to be the king yes. of my people. I'm Theocracy. I mean, this this is good news. Yeah, <laughs> this is really good news. Exactly right. I'm I'm going to intervene myself on their behalf, and I'm going to bring them out of captivity. I'm going to bring them back to their own land. I'm going to fill their lives with blessing and plenty. I'm not going to delegate this to anybody. Mm. I'll, I'll do it myself, and that's the theme of verse eleven to sixteen. But then you get to verse 17 to 19, the Lord turns from the situation of the leaders of Israel and he turns to the people themselves. themselves. And in verse 17 to 19, he pronounces judgment on the selfish people who have oppressed their fellow citizens. And you can read it there. He says, I'm going to separate sheep from sheep. I'm going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. I'm going to separate the oppressors from the weak. I'm going to judge the oppressors. I'm going to save and rescue the weak. And then in verse 20 to 24, he announces that he's going to set up a successor to David to lead his people. Now, you know, you can just feel that tension um, for a moment. In verse 
11 to 16, he says, no more. I'm not dedicating. I'm going to lead the people. God himself is going to leave. But then in verse 20 to 24, he says, I'm, I'm going to set up a successor to David to lead my people. So feel that tension. Well, which is it? And, and <laughs> is it Testament, going to be a man or is it yes. going to be you, God? <laughs> exactly, right? And, and these Old Testament commentators puzzle over this. And Ezekiel is so emphatic that God himself will be king. Who then is this that he's speaking about in verse 20 to 24? And how can it be that he'll lead the people? He himself will appoint someone to lead his people. Well, that's what, what Mark said. And then finally, verse 25 to 31, the Lord says that he will establish a covenant of peace with his people. And again, this is Ezekiel reflecting on what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31, where he announces the new covenant that's going uh, to make with his people. But that tension I'm going to rule my people, but I'm going to appoint a, a seed from David, someone in the line of David. It comes together at Christmas mm. with Emmanuel, which is God with us, right? Yeah. And so just awesome themes coming through. And I mean, I'm touching nothing. These are like such little things in, in the scripture when there's so much more. I mean, uh, obviously, you've opened up a gate which is so big, anybody could walk through it. Uh, but, I mean, these mega ideas of Scripture that, that, that come over and over again. David writing Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David writing, the Lord says to my Lord, you know, quoted in the book of Acts, Jesus standing up and saying, I am the good shepherd, <laughs> an absolute claim to the deity and the, the, the legacy and the heritage which had been written down for him by Ezekiel in chapter 34. Um, uh, I mean, that, that, that's great stuff, Tyrell. That is really, really Christmas rich. Um, Jesus Christ, um, God with us. I love it. As we're going through the Old Testament, we're seeing promise after promise to this first advent, um, knowing that, you know, for every one promise which is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ and in his life and in his death, there are eight unfulfilled texts which then point to his second advent, which is, of course, eschatology, and we're not going to have enough time today to talk about that. <laughs> but, but, but as we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is repeated repeat, repeat with, um, with content, um, prophetic content that points that a babe would be born. And as maybe a, a segue to the final um, movement of the show this morning, uh, this special Christmas edition featuring Tyrell Hogg, um, in the next segment of the show, we, we're going to be moving from the prophetic, from looking toward this promise that was to come, to the fulfillment, um, Emmanuel, God with us, the one of whom angels sang, the one of whom shepherds worshipped, the one of whom uh, wise men came and gave gifts, uh, the one born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. Um, stick with us. Obviously, the, the high point of our discussion uh, is coming in the last section of this Friday show, uh, between half past 10 and 11. We are looking forward to hearing it. Uh, we will be back shortly. We are just going to a brief break. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit listeners, it's great to be with you on this Christmas Eve. Um, it is wonderful 
to talk about the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. And this morning in particular, it makes sense that we talk about the incarnation of Christ. And by incarnation, of course, I mean Jesus coming to us in human flesh. It is a staggering thought that all the prophecies in the Old Testament that Tyrell Hogg and I have been talking about culminate in the birth of a king in the in the um, uh, the city of kings, Bethlehem. And uh, that's really where we arrive at um, this morning in our discussion uh, around Christmas. I, I want to start off this last segment of the show by, by reading a call to worship that uh, Jabalani uh, Marburg from Central Baptist Church put together in preparation for a carol service that was held uh, this past uh, weekend. Uh, he wrote, he read it, and um, as he read it, my spirit just soared. Um, and it really does cover much of the biblical theology that we've been we've been heading toward um, over the last hour and a half, and uh, might land us at the point where we can start to talk about the Christmas narrative. This is what Jabalani writes. He is the creator and sustainer of the whole world. He was the seed promised to crush the serpent's head. He is the only door to salvation as symbolized on Noah's ark. He is the seed by which all nations of the earth will be blessed. He is a greater than Moses, for he is sinless and will lead us to a greater and finished salvation. In him we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us at every point, yet he did not sin. He is the great high priest in that he offered his own blood on the mercy seat of God, offering forgiveness for the sins of the world. He would fulfill the whole law and by his righteousness would be granted right standing before God. He is a mighty conqueror. He is the only judge who can break the cycle of sin. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the one building his holy temple made of living stones. He is the one who is preparing a place for us. He is our hope in suffering. He is our reason to sing like the psalmist. He is the source of all wisdom as the only wise God. He is our prophet whose words have never failed, whose prophecies shall come to pass like the seed who came from Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David, to Josiah, to Zerubbabel, to Jacob, to Joseph, to the husband of Mary. He would be baptized by John the Baptist, choose twelve disciples, turn water into wine, resist temptation from Satan. He would preach a fire sermon from a mountain, heal the sick, cast out demons, feed the masses with five loaves and two fish. He would give out discourses. He would be tried and found guilty of a crime he did not commit. He'd be beaten, mocked and scoffed, pierced at his side and crucified on a cross besides two criminals, where he would shout the words, it is finished, paid in full, the cup has been drunk to its full, hallelujah. After three days he would be risen again, sin is defeated, the curtain has been torn in two, we can now have access to the throne room of God. After forty days he ascended into heaven, but sent down the Holy Spirit ten days later, who would usher in the new covenant, start the church, turn our hearts from stone to flesh through faith in Jesus Christ. And that same Spirit who started the work would see to it to completion, where we will be like he is. He is the one who justifies the ungodly, the second and better Adam, 
by whose obedience we are made righteous. He is the one whose grace is sufficient yet abounding. He is the plan from the beginning of the ages to unite all things to himself. He is our only hope, our advocate, the righteous judge, our avenger, our cornerstone. He is the image and example of perfect love. He is Jesus. And if you didn't notice, that's the babe that we sing about on Christmas morn as revealed from Old to New Testament. He is worthy of our praise and adoration. That same Jesus who the disciples watch ascend into heaven will in the same way return to collect his bride. Until then, the church let us sing praise to our God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And we need to join with all believers throughout all ages and sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing all as citizens of heaven above, glory to God, glory in the highest, O come all ye faithful. Man, that was a great call to action. And it actually stirs up such emotion in me as I think of the, the immense glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. And yet lying in a manger of straw and filth in a stable of squalor is born the darling of heaven. It is an astounding thought. Tyrell, introduce us a bit to the, to the Christmas narrative. You know, the, the, the prophecy of, of the coming Savior takes our breath away. And I think that's uh, partly what that call to worship is designed to do um, when we think about it. But there's there's one thing, and I feel like you know we we left this out as we was going through it because we we prepared for a king, uh, for this skull crusher. We prepared for a a branch. We prepared for a virgin's boy. Um, you know, a child is going to bring peace, a descendant that we we would not prepared as you go through the Old Testament for the despised. Yeah. Um, we're not expecting. And yet it was the Lord's will and it was the Lord's love and it was the Lord's way for our salvation. And it's um it's impossible and it's incorrect to 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 try and do justice to um the the whole theme of christmas or the incarnation without noting that and um and and you've done that when you spoke now about the the stable is a little bit of a of a picture and a manger it's a little bit of a picture and the filth it's a little bit of a picture that wait a minute this this isn't with the flavor that we've been expecting it's it's almost like those things are shadows of where he's going um there, there there's a taste that well this is not all red carpets and you know and triumph like we've been expecting it's a bit odd and it's meant to be that if you know if i could just i just want to make a few comments on isaiah 53 because i think they do it justice um you know in verse two uh, it says that he draws all men to himself that he has no physical form or majesty or beauty that makes us want to look at him. Yeah. Um, and, and 
it's not physical form and majesty. Like we read these passages, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. I mean, think about that for a moment. You, you know, one of the things that we prize are our handsome sons and our beautiful daughters. Mm. No father and mother has ever said, you know, I hope my daughter is ugly. I hope my son's unattractive. Um, and yet, in his love for us, the heavenly father sent his son into the world whose appearance didn't attract anyone to him. And yet he drew all people to himself. And we would all declare him the fairest among 10,000 because of who he is, yeah. because of his character, because of what he's done. And that's the first thing that you, you kind of see there. Um, that, that there's something else besides his appearance that causes us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And secondly, verse three of this, this um, prophecy, I mean, the irony, the one who is our joy, the one who is our joy, the one who is our comfort, the one who is our peace, the one who is our well-being was despised and rejected and lived a life of sorrow and grief. That's what it says there. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, again, there's no mother or father who's, who's listening to this, who when they're holding their child in their arms for the first time, prayed, oh God, grant that they'll be rejected by their peers. Grant that they'll experience isolation and have no friends and walk this world with grief and sorrow and loneliness. Yeah. And yet, that's what your Savior did. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and he is our joy and yet he was despised and rejected and lived a life of sorrow. And I want to say, you know, if you find yourself engulfed in sorrow and grief, hallelujah, because what a Savior we have. Um, mm. The Savior of, at Christmas time was the one who can give joy even in sorrow and grief um, because he knew a deeper sorrow and a deeper grief than we'll, we'll ever know. Uh, verse 4. He bore our griefs that we might know joy. He carried our sorrows that we might know true, true happiness. But verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Again, just catch the irony, right? Yeah. The sorrows and griefs that he was carrying are not his own. He doesn't deserve those sorrows and griefs. He's carrying them because he loved you. Uh, and yet his contemporaries looked at him and considered that he's the one who's cursed. When, when the irony is, all of us are the ones who have been cursed all the way back in the beginning. Yes. And yet he alone deserved not to be. And, and, and yet that we would know the joy, um, that we might know the joy he bore our griefs and that we might know true happiness he blessed us. And then the fourth thing, verse 5, he took the piercing of our sin that we could know the healing of God's pardon. You know, it says he was crushed for our iniquities so that we could be alive, taken out from underneath the weight of sin. Um, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds were healed. We deserve to be pierced with our own sin, but he was pierced with our sin that we might feel the touch of God's pardon. We deserve to be crushed for our iniquities. He's crushed for our iniquities so that we can be brought out from under this weight and be made alive. I'm not going to take too long, but very quickly, verse 6. We strayed. He didn't. And yet he bore the burden of our straying. We strayed. 
but he bears the burden of our straying. It says there, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, verse 7 to 9, he's oppressed so that we might be free. He's afflicted so that we might be whole. He's judged and condemned that we might be declared not guilty. Look at the text. It says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? So they didn't know it, but he was oppressed for your freedom. He was afflicted for your wholeness. He was judged and condemned so that you might hear the words of the judge, not guilty. Mm. You're free. Um, and then there's just a, a few more here. You know, if you look at verse 10, he's crushed in order to spare us the crushing that we deserve. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Um, and then that leads to verse 10, 11, because he does all of this, or he does all of this for the joy set before him, for the satisfaction of his soul. So listen to what Isaiah tells you. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. So he knows that his sin offering, his guilt offering, is going to be effectual, and you're going to live, and he is going to see it, and, and, and he is going to look at you in the eye and say, I brought you, I saved you, you're mine, you're my child, and all of this was worth it to me. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's so much here. One, one last thing. Verse nine. Sorry, verse eleven. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So my servant will justify many. So you know what Isaiah is telling us there. Uh, you know, it wouldn't do us any good if he only knew how to justify the righteous. If he only knew how to declare the righteous to be righteous. But our Savior knows how to declare the wicked righteous. And he knows how to declare the wicked righteous in a way that doesn't compromise the righteousness of God. Uh, in fact, we could say this. Our Savior knows how to declare the guilty, guiltless, guiltlessly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that, 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 that's quotable. Yeah. So you've got all of this, right? You've got all the things we've spoken about, the seed and this branch and this, you know, servant and this um, uh, virgin's child. But yes, he's despised and afflicted and a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And all of these in one man uh, predicted so long ago, all the way in the pages of scripture. And you know what, friends, we, like, we haven't even touched the, the New Testament yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's so true. As you're as you're going through Isaiah fifty-three, uh, the 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 picture of the nativity scene is starting to crystallize in my mind in a new way. And it's just how bizarre it actually is. Here is a king in absolute squalor. Here are the heirs of the Davidic line in the city of David. Uh, and yet they can't even find a room in an inn yeah. or the worst of places to stay in the ancient world. Um, they're, they're in a stable. Um, here are 
are, are shepherds worshipping next to Magi, uh, the kings of the West. Um, you know, the one who's, who's praised by angels, a chorus of angels, myriads upon myriads of angels is shepherded into the world by the animals around him. Um, it, it is a remarkable scene for the entry into the world of that shepherd from Ezekiel chapter 34, um, the great I am <laughs> in the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord is our salvation. Um, absolutely amazing. You, you know what's remarkable as you, as you said that about Bethlehem and you tied it into being the, the, you know, the city of David and, and, and all of that. It's, you know, when David wanted to stay somewhere, and they wouldn't harbor him. He was ready to kill. You remember, and Abigail comes and yeah. says, "Listen, just, just relax." Um, but not Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's, it's remarkably different. Um, the, the 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 son of David, uh, the the true David. How how different he is. And and he comes to make a home rather for for others for people who, you know, they don't actually own that stuff. That's his, <laughs> yeah. so, and he can't stay in it. Well, now let, let's get to application. Um, yeah, we are uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, we've spoken about how the world celebrates Christmas. We've spoken about how the church celebrates Christmas. We've uh, we've drawn from some theological imagery from scripture we've drawn from some biblical theology of scripture uh, we've arrived at the nativity scene um how do different people apply this message that we've been speaking about for the last two hours um how does the believer apply this how does the child of believers in a believer's household apply this how do how do you um how do non-christian uh, non-christians who are maybe you know, plan on visiting a service tonight or, or tomorrow morning. How do they go about applying this message? Th this is joy to the world, right? <laughs> How should the world respond to the announcement, the good news of this king, of this savior? Yeah. Well, you know, the world, the world needs to respond, uh, you know, kiss, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Um, he, because he is the king. And so the first thing to acknowledge is that he's a king, but he's not a king uh, like the tyrants that, that we might know. He's a king who, I mean, as, as you read, he, he comes and he serves um, and gives his life as a ransom for many. And so... There's no, there, there is no joy to the world unless you first go through Christ. Um, there's no joy in Christmas time. The lights that you see when you're driving around, the happy tunes that you hear in, in a mall or that your wife tells you are in the mall, uh, all, all of those things are, are meaningless. Um, if you're under God's judgment, if you're saying, no, I've gone astray and I want to keep going astray. I want to keep going my own way. Mm. Um, you're, you're under the curse, even though the one who can liberate you from the curse has come and he was long anticipated, uh, and, and he came and now you're here 
And what's, what would be holding you back from fleeing to him and saying, have mercy on me? Uh, what would stop you from knowing real joy and, and true joy of having sins forgiven, having the guilt gone and having the, the, the power of the curse broken? Um, uh, it's a claim on you. You know, there's no reason. And then, and, and for believers, you know, you, you, there's so many different categories of people that we could go into. But for believers, you know, as, as you were even commenting there, Mark, I was just thinking about the, the Tsar randomly. It's not around anymore. The Tsar's families have all been, you know, they're wiped out. But I was thinking about the, the opulence of Christian rulers through different periods of history. And, and thinking about how inconsistent, how wildly inconsistent some people have lived their lives who claim to hold to this message, who claim to know this message. Because if, if you take this, if you're a Christian and you take this into the very center of your heart, if the very purpose of the incarnation coming to serve, not to be served, humbling himself, um, giving his life for his enemies, giving his life for those that strayed. This ought to be a very humbling time for believers. This ought to be a, be a very grace-infusing time for believers because how can you go from here and then be oppressive or prejudicial or holier-than-vow in attitude towards anybody else? You can't. Mm. Um, if you've taken this into the center of heart, if you've taken the beautiful um, connections in biblical theology into the center of your heart, and you you you've got your head full of knowledge now, then yeah, you can you can feel better than everybody else, and like you've got it all squared away. Um, but the point of all of those connections of scripture and the beautiful ways that they build into each other and and lead up to the coming of Christ is to make you see how worthy he is and how unworthy you are and, and to cause you to live a life that reflects that, um, which is what so much of the New Testament epistles are about, what the one another commandments are about, what Jesus said, man, I'm washing your feet, go do the same thing, right? That's not, not because here's the, just randomly the example to follow because the truth of that has reshaped your heart structure. And so... Yeah, I mean, there's so much application from it, but I think that's where I would um, that's where I would go, Mark. How about you? No, look, uh, I mean, I I can't uh, I can't add. I can just maybe underline uh, there is a call, a call on each and every man, woman, and child to repent of their sins and cast themselves upon the Savior. Uh, Jesus's call is to you. It's to you urgently. Um, it is a command. It must be obeyed. Uh, do it at once, do it Do it right now, um, bow your head and bend your knee uh, and acknowledge him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, for he truly is, he is worthy of your praise. Join the everlasting and eternal chorus of high heaven and the saints throughout all the ages, declaring the glorious truth that the Lion of the tribe of Judah is the Lamb that was slain for our sins. Um, and then to believers, I, I, you know, just to also echo exactly what you said, uh, Philippians, which talks about the incarnation, Christ um, taking on human flesh, 
um, starts off by saying, have the same attitude amongst yourselves, uh, and then uses this picture of Jesus, um, his condescension as a, a real example for the humility that should be fostered within our hearts, a humility which is a response to the Holy Spirit of God within us. And um, yeah, uh, that's how we live our lives to God's praise and to his glory. Tyrell, we've come to the end of the show. I mean, I can't believe it. It's been two hours. I could talk about Jesus with you all day long. In actual fact, one of the problems with talking to you is that I enjoy it so much. I don't know when to stop. Um, but brother, I, I just want to say thank you um, so much for giving your time. Um, uh, I thank you so much for making the time available. We're not in the same time zone, so uh, that required some work on your side. Uh, thank you for um, for giving this uh, to us. Really appreciate it. And I do trust that you and your family, together with the saints at uh, Pineland Baptist Church, enjoy your Christmas season and that Christ is honored and glorified in your lives. Amen. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and um, yeah, forwarding me the opportunity to be on again. Well, in closing, um, our prayers go out to all the elders and deacons holding the line in local churches, as well as to our missionaries who serve in foreign fields. Our prayers each week and much respect goes out to first responders, to police, our defense force, and to those who dispense justice, like our firefighters and paramedics, our nation's nurses and medical personnel uh, on the front lines, as well as our correctional facility officers. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We're going to be going to news shortly. And so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.